Welcome to the Spoken Gospel Podcast. This is our attempt to speak the gospel out of every corner of Scripture. We believe that every part of the Bible, Old Testament and New, is about Jesus. And this podcast is our experiment to publicly test that belief. Today's episode is brought to you by Thomas Nelson Publishers and my new book, Rewire Your Heart. Replace Desire for Sin with Desire for God. And that's coming out wherever books are sold October 30th. And it's available for pre-order from your favorite outlet today. So visit rewireyourheartbook.com for all the details. Let's jump in. All right. Well, welcome to part two. Part dos. Part dos. Due. Due. What's, what? 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 What are the Spanish and Italian? Oh, okay. De I got French. Me. You know, Japanese. Why do you know so many of these? <laughs> I count to ten, brushing my children's teeth in six different languages. Yeah. So one for the left side, one for the right side, <laughs> one for the front, and then I do that on the top, and then I'll sometimes do, do it twice. Your uh, your kids brush their teeth way longer than I brush my teeth. <laughs> is what i'm learning from this have they have they picked it up can they do it yet sunny tries to yeah so sometimes she'll just say do the dose thing again the dose thing. <laughs> that's pretty cute that's pretty cute that's pretty cute, pretty <laughs> well, cute. Uh, you know that's keep her around cute. so that's why there's 10 commandments Wh- what <laughs> that's just that's just nothing oh okay i wish i could count to 10 in hebrew yeah you need to you need to learn that one because 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 we're in Hebrew right now because we're, we're in the Old Testament in the Old Testament yeah so yeah we're this is part two as we as we Dose. said like a minute ago <laughs> this is part part two of our um, walk through Exodus twenty which is the Ten Commandments we kind of got rolling last week Zvi that was the other one oh my goodness that <laughs> was true. oh my goodness I thought we were past this um, and uh, we kind of realized that we were going over time there was a lot to unpack. Um, so uh, we, we looked at how the Ten Commandments are kind of the uh, summary of the covenant. Love God, love neighbor. That's right. It's like the, even Jesus summed it up, and it seems to follow the pattern of... The first four the, are about our relationship right. with God. The last six are about our relationship with one another. Yep. And so we made it through the first four, like don't have other gods before me, don't commit adult idol, idolatry, uh, keep the Sabbath. Keep the Sabbath. Don't take the Lord, name of the Lord your God in vain. We unpack. And all what of those. we want to do today is actually show how all of these commandments are actually about our relationship with the Lord, right? And how Jesus even fulfills that as right. well. Yeah. And so, even though this is about our relationship with one another, it's really about our relationship with God. Right. We said last week that you can't break any of the Ten Commandments without breaking the first. Right. Which means even commands about honoring your father and mother and stealing are ultimately about our relationship right. with God. Whenever we refuse to honor our father and mother, we are ultimately refusing to put God first in our life and to honor him above all. Because if we would have honored him above all, that would have trickled down and we would have honored our mother and father. Right. So the question is, why is that? Well, uh, <laughs> uh, wait, what? So I think what I want to get at here is like, why is everything about our relationship with God? Oh, okay. why are these things the things we must obey? And I think the answer I was hoping that you would just offer freely and read my mind is like the reason these things are here is because this is based on the character of God. Oh, right. Yeah. So yeah. Why do we have these rules at all? Um, I think, yeah, I, I get what, I get what you're saying now. Um, yeah. The rules here, I mean, I don't think anybody would think these are 
arbitrary rules. I think they're pretty standard moral rules. Like, at least these last six. At least yeah. these last six, which we're focusing on for this episode. Don't murder. Don't commit adultery. Don't steal. Don't lie. Don't covet your neighbor's household. I mean, all these things are pretty ubiquitous around a lot of different cultures. You know, most cultures have some semblance of this. And so people ask the question, like, where do good and evil come from? Where, how do we, like, what, where do ethics come from? And the old Euthyphro dilemma, that's a big $10 million word. Just a name. It's just Euthyphro. a name. Yeah, Euthyphro <laughs> dilemma was he posed, he was this, this philosopher who posed this question, which was, um, is something good because God decreed it, or does God decree something because it is good? And so... And I think the Christian answer to that is that God commands something because he is the fulfillment and embodiment of that command. He yes. demands it because he is that. He is that. Thing. God never... And so, yeah. So the, the, the answer is not necessarily like, well, there was this eternal good and God saw it and was like, oh, it's always been good not to murder. I'll, I'll right. impose that on my people. Neither it are, are, are things just good. Well, because God said so. Like, right. we don't murder. Well, why? Well, because God said so. Why do we not murder? Well, because God is the giver of life who does not take life but gives life. You know, yes. like, yes, yeah. And so in the same way that we obey the command to have no other gods because God is the only true God, we honor our father and mother because God has honored. There's there's a relationship, a father-son relationship. Father-son relationship in the Trinity, eternal Trinity. In the yep. eternal Trinity where there is this eternal honoring, honoring. That's happening right. there. Yep. And so that is supposed to be reflected Yep. In God's people. Right. We are all fathers and mothers yep. to somebody. That's right. Yeah. So like, yeah. So, or so sons to somebody. Some sons to somebody. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and so wh why are these commands here? Um, because they tell us about who God is. Uh, commands come from character is an alliterative way to put that. Hmm. So, so Baptist of you. Is it, yeah. Or I'm, I'm just a poet, man. Come on. Uh, I mean, I was raised Baptist too, but you know, inconsequential. <laughs> <laughs> the Baptist comes first. The Baptist comes first. I mean, it did chronologically. Yeah, you know, you can't escape it. I can't. All your poetry is just an expression <laughs> of, of your of Baptist, my Baptist preacher upbringing. <laughs> I've got three points, and they all start with the same letter. Here we go. Yeah. So yes. So the commands that we're experiencing here come from the character of God. So um, the the first question we shouldn't ask when we come to these commands is first question we shouldn't ask. Yeah. The, yeah. The first question we shouldn't ask is when we come to these commands is. Well, how could how could I ever do that? Like, how could I live up to that? Instead, the first question we should we, we should ask is, how is God like that? So it's not like, oh man, I have to do that. We could say, oh, God is like that. And so I think God wants to show us Himself here. You know, yeah. God is wanting to show us that He is all of these commands uh, perfectly, and He's inviting us as Leviticus, the next book in the Torah, will say to be holy as He is holy. Come join in my self-same character, right? Come live like I live. Come be like I am. Um, I'm inviting you into the best form of existence to be right. like God. I mean, this is a restoration of yeah. the garden, right? It's like the, the serpent came and said, no good and evil. And, 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 and so they tried to grab it for themselves and they usurped their position. Uh, they broke the first commandment right. preemptively and they said, we'll be our own God. And God is saying, no, here's good and evil. It's to be like me. And the lie of the serpent was, you'll be like God. And that wasn't really? the case at all. No, it's like, if you want to be like God, yeah. obey me. Obey me. Yeah. And you will be like Because I'm showing you my character right. in these commands. So the Ten Commandments are the way that God intends to reverse the curse. Yeah. That came right. through the serpent's command. Yeah. Yeah. The, the God is saying here in the Ten Commandments that uh, the Torah here is the, uh, the fulfillment of of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. He's saying like, 
I, I was trying to show you who I am and trying to get you to depend on me and live with me and dwell with me in the garden by keeping you from this tree, you know, and everything like that. Because if you would have not eaten from this tree, you would have. But now that you have. Now that you have, right. Now here. you can restore this relationship with me by living like me, by following my character. So here in the Ten Commandments, we kind of have the what, how God is trying to fix what happened at the Tree of Knowledge, Good and Evil back in Genesis 3. Super fascinating. It's really fascinating. So now we have a really clear way to look to Jesus. If the law is the way that the curse is reversed, we also know through the Israelites' history is that this law doesn't work for them. No, they break it all the time. They break it yeah. all the time. They're still waiting for somebody to obey right. in order to reverse the call mm, of Adam and Eve. That's good. And so who does this perfectly? It's Noah. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. It's Jesus. <laughs> it's Jesus, yes. Jesus is the one who obeys the commands, yeah. not simply to like... I think sometimes we think about fulfill all righteousness, like just merely so that he can live the perfect life. Right. But he's actually doing something God has intended to reverse and bring back an Edenic state for all yes. humanity and, and to, for yeah, human and, flourishing. Yes, for human flourishing and to show us the character of God, to invite us into that character. It's like the rules of God aren't aren't here and like following Jesus isn't isn't like um, a moral obligation that that is there to like just like whip you into shape and get you to, to look a certain way. It's there because it's for your joy. Like God wants you to obey his commandments because you will live like him and living like God is the best thing you can possibly do. So as you honor your father and mother, as you don't murder people, as you, as you don't commit adultery, as you don't steal, as you don't lie, as you don't covet, you, you are stepping into the character of God and living your best life. Now. Your now. best life now. Okay, Joel. Joel. Let's. Joel Steen reference. <laughs> so then what we need to do is we need to go through these six commandments and yes. say, how is this a reflection of God's character? Uh -huh. And how does Jesus fulfill it for us? So let's start with the first of the six, okay. honoring your father and mother. What does this tell us about God? Uh, well, you already talked about the Trinity thing. Yeah, I think that's probably the most fundamental thing. Yeah. It's like this honoring your father and mother is a way in which that we can reflect God in mm -hmm. the way that he submits and honors within the Trinity. Right. Father, Son, the Holy eternal Spirit. eternal submission and like other glorying of the Trinity that yeah, works. Like, if you don't, can you explain that real quick for yeah. people who have never heard of that idea before? So let's call it the dance of love. No, I hate that term. <laughs> <laughs> it's a Tim Keller thing. Yeah, I yeah, but it, it's been co-opted by other authors. Oh, it has. Yeah, oh, okay. I don't like it. Anyway, the idea is that you have the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, right? And they exist eternally in a perfect love relationship. Relationship. Yep. Where the Father gives all of Himself to the Son, mm -hmm. at the same time giving all of Himself to the Holy Spirit, mm -hmm. and while He is in a sense, emptying himself. He's not emptying himself, but because he's also being f totally filled by both the Son and the Holy Spirit. Right. So the Son pours himself out, he's filled by the Holy Spirit and the Father. Yep. As the Father pours himself out, he's filled by the Son and the Holy Spirit. As the Holy Spirit fills, pours himself out in love towards uh, the Father and the Son, Father and Son fill the Holy Spirit back up. Yep. Not that he's ever deficient or loses some of his love, right. but that there's this perfect... That's why it's perfect. It's perfect. no one it's ever like, loses anything. No one ever loses anything, yet it's always entirely right. self-giving. Right. And there's also that, you know, that the re another reason why you don't lose anything, it's because it's the three natures, one person. You know, it's that self-giving, other-giving blend yeah. that takes place in the Trinity. If you want to like, I, I mean, where, where would you, you point someone to go and read? I would say probably like, go read John 17 a little bit, yeah. right? About John's. The, restore to give restore to me the glory that I had with you in the beginning, stuff like that. 
Um, anyway. I would do that. And I mean, if you want, like Tim Keller's Reason for God explains yes. that really clearly. Yep. And I think it's the first chapter of go. his second yeah. part of that book. It's so really... that's not what we're talking about here, but it is helpful to yeah. understand how does, how, how does this, how is honoring your father and mother a reflection of who God is? Right. So now we're like, and like God is three persons in one. Mm-hmm. We exist in relationships that are separate, but also but also one. Like I've got I've got a mom, a dad, a sister, and myself. But we make up the Bowden family. Yes. Yeah. There's my wife and me are two, but we're also one, one flesh. flesh yeah. Like according to Scripture, so like there are these relationships that God says that you are supposed to image my Trinity and how you relate to one another. Mm-hmm. And so He's saying, in honoring your father and mother, I want you to reflect that love that I have towards myself in your relationship in your most intimate relationships down on earth. Yeah. And that's not just to children looking up to their fathers. Right. It's also in fathers taking care of their fathers when they get too old to care for themselves as mm-hmm. well. And we know that because this was this covenant was mostly spoken to adults actually. Yeah. And in this culture, you would you wouldn't ship your family off to a, n- a nursing home, your parents when they got old, it was your responsibility to take care of them. There's even the proverbs sa- about that. In you the know? same way that God's love does not exhaust itself at a particular timeline. Your mm. your 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 responsibility to care and honor your father doesn't end when right. you leave the house yeah. like it that relationship is eternal yeah as this. just as god's is and so we now want to also look at how does jesus fulfill this command for us right we see this i mean over and over again jesus says i only do what i see my father doing right. especially in the book of john we hear that over and over and over if again you've seen me you've seen the father right i only speak when my father speaks you know i only do what my father wants me to do i only save those the father gives me yeah yeah, yeah, <laughs> like, yeah, yeah absolutely he's always in this perfect relationship with his eternal father and he he also models for us since we've said the since he's in a proper relationship with his eternal father we know he will be uh, honoring his mother and father here on earth as well though right yeah we see that like in his life presumably joseph died okay when jesus was in childhood um i mean that's yeah we have to speculate we have to speculate a little yeah. bit but like he took care of his mother right on the cross, yep. like as he was dying, yeah. and like, maybe even in the family business, in the you family know, business, you know, yeah, like why, why, you know, why, why did he stay home until he was thirty? Maybe he had to take care of his mom, you know. Um, and then, yeah, we also see, yeah, like, you, like I think you were going there. It's like on the cross, Jesus uh, was so concerned for his mom that he says, you know, uh, to John and his his mother, he says, um, you know, this is your, this is now your mom, John. Right. Take care of Mary. It's so like this idea of like honoring your father and mother, God's fathering, the father son relationship is so important, so integral to God's own character and his relationship with us. Like he ensures that as he's dying in that redemptive act of going to the cross, that his mother is cared for. Mm-hmm. Like that's really, it's amazing. Really powerful. Yeah. And so then let's talk for a second then about all the people that are listening to this whose fathers are not awesome. Mm-hmm. And like, how does this redeem bad fathers? Yeah. Like, because that's important. It, <laughs> is, like, it is really so important. So how do you honor a father that's not honorable? Right. Or how do you honor a father that you don't know? Right. And how does Jesus restore and fulfill our expectations of hope for a father that actually no father can ever mm-hmm. on earth can ever live up to? Yeah. Because we're not saying that if you have an abusive father here on earth that you need to submit to their hand and just let them beat you. That's not what is happening here. But what happens whenever you can experience the love of your heavenly father who um, is, is has this eternal love for you and bought you with the blood of his son, 
you you can then love and forgive your father genuinely because of the forgiveness you've you've experienced in the gospel. But that doesn't necessarily mean like okay, I'll let him beat me or verbally abuse me right. or or anything like that, right? I think you could maybe the easiest way to say it is like if you're suffering right now through your own relationship with your father or the lack of a parental figure, like see yourself in Mary and Jesus as he's going to the cross, like is providing a father figure, a providing figure for you mm. in his act. So, I mean, it's a little bit different because he's a son talking about another, like another son, another son. Yeah. But like in what he's doing is he's providing family for those that don't have it. There's the eternal father who's always caring and he's caring so much so that he's providing sons for mothers mm. who are also suffering. Yeah. So like if you're experiencing the loss of family, like the Lord on the cross is providing that for you, not just in his attitude towards John and making sure his mom's physically provided mm-hmm. for, but in his eternal, the eternal reality is that he desires family. Yeah. And what does Jesus say? Like there are no, it's no one who has lost family or mothers right. or brothers who's not received 100 fold right. in the kingdom of God. Right. Because you've been brought into this family of God, this bride, this body, you've been brought into it. Are you single? Do you not have a dad? Do you not have a mom? Yeah. If they died, you have family in yes. Jesus. Yeah, and Jesus himself lived that out. People came to him and said, hey, your mom and dad are waiting, or your mom, not your mom and dad, your your mom and your sisters and everything are waiting outside for you, right? Uh, he's in this house performing miracles, and they come to him and it's like, hey, your mom's outside. And he goes, who's my mother? You know, and, right. and, and his answer is, my mother is, is those who do the will of my father in heaven. I'm talking about this new kingdom, this new family that I'm building, and that wasn't a way to dishonor his mother. We know that clearly. It was a way to extend expand the meaning of mother and father. So now, not only as Christians are we to honor our nuclear mother and father, but our spiritual mother and fathers in yeah. congregations that we live in, in church, like honoring our elders, honoring our brothers and sisters in, in the body of Christ. And ultimately, our desire for families met in the body, in the church. In the church, yeah, yeah. I don't think I've talked about this on our podcast, so we lost a son. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've never thought about this, about Mary and Jesus, like providing another son for Mary. But like we um, processing through that's been obviously really difficult. But like one of the hopes that we have is like even on the cross, the Lord is providing sons for those that are losing them. Like yeah. so, like Eric has found a lot of comfort in Mary as a figure of grief, right. and also like she lost a son, you know. But like in the act of dying on the cross, Jesus provides another son for her, mm. and like that's extended through his resurrection, because by the power of his resurrection, we have hundreds of sons. Like yeah. I'm a youth pastor. Right. So yeah. like, you know, like I pastored hundreds of people. Yeah. And I, those are spiritual sons for me. So let's look at the next commandment. You okay. shall not murder. Yes. Um, yeah. What do you want to note about this? Well, how is this a reflection of God's character? Right. And I think the simplest way to say this is that God is, life right and, in, in the beginning he spoke and made everything and, and made everything like yep. life comes from him yep. he's described as being life yeah, in the he New breathed Testament. into man and made he him a gave, living being yeah, he gave us life and then we are his lives on the earth like we right. example his image made in his image mm-hmm. that life-giving powers like also emit like reflected in us and giving birth and right. having children mm-hmm. yeah and, and it's and it's on that basis of god's image in us that god gives the first prohibition against murder after the flood 
uh, in his covenant to Noah. He says, you know, do not murder because mankind is made in my image. And, and it would be to mar the image of God in someone else and in yourself. So why don't we murder people? Because God is life yes. and people made in his image should not take life. Right. Yep. And how is this fulfilled in Jesus? This oh, man. Is, I mean, this is <laughs> like Jesus is the ultimate murdered one. Yes. In order to pay for our murderous hearts, which let's pause before we get all the way to Jesus. Yeah. Let's talk about how Jesus intensifies this command. Oh, and, yeah. In the in the Sermon on the Mount. In the right. Sermon on the Mount. Because he says like, okay, you've heard it said, don't, don't murder. murder. Right. But I'm telling you, don't even be angry with somebody. Right. Yeah. And... <laughs> yeah, which is insane. Yeah, and and which it's point it points to us that that ultimately these commands are not just about our hands. We know that when 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 these commands are given again in Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy starts to talk more about the heart and how the reason why you won't be able to obey these commands is because God has not yet circumcised your heart. And we also know that if it's a reflection of God's character, it should also be a reflection of our the character. character. He like, he doesn't just want to have a okay. This is who I am. And, but I just want you to like mimic me in your actions. No, right. no, no. God wants us to be who he is. He wants and, us to have his character. And in order to get to the point where you murder somebody, right. it involves your heart. Your heart. That's like, right. You, there's a whole bunch of stuff that happens behind the scenes before you yes. even get there. And That's God right. is saying, act like me, be holy like me. And that also involves a whole set of motives and like all these oh, motives yeah, that absolutely. are happening. And so that's what Jesus is calling out in the Sermon on the Mount. That's right. You want to reduce the commands to an to, outward action. To an outward action. I'm saying, no. I want your heart. <laughs> I want your heart. It's yeah. always been about it's the always character. always been about the character of your heart. And you're never going to do anything holy with your hands unless you have a holy heart. Right. Like I talk, I, I'm going to do a book plug, but I talk, I've got my, book my, my book, my, my book, Rewire Your Heart is coming out at the end of October, 2018. And it's all about this. That's this year. It's this year. I was just making case somebody in future podcasts pre-order now is listening. Amazon. Oh my goodness! <laughs> but it's it's what all this is about is that is that God's always been after our hearts and like the reason the reason why we sin so much the reason why we never change our actions is because we're trying to do behavior modification on the outside. We're trying to like treat sin like it's a like a diet or exercise, but it's a matter of the heart. And that that's here what we're seeing is that God wants your heart because yeah. he'll never have your actions unless he has your heart and he'll never have you if he doesn't have your heart he doesn't you know he doesn't really care about your outward actions as much he does but because they're a reflection, because they're a reflection of, of your character of your character yeah that's right and so you said it already so in deuteronomy it's talking about your heart being circumcised uncircumcised right now yeah being hard and that's why you can't actually obey the outward commands that's and right your motives and yep. your reasons for doing things are always jacked up and wrong and so jesus when he becomes the ultimate murdered one for us, he actually retroactively undoes all those, that hardness of heart yeah. that we've seen all throughout Exodus already. And he makes us able to not just not murder people, right? but like to not, love people that we otherwise would hate. Yeah. yeah. To love our enemies, to yeah. actively like, yep. like take hate away from right. us. And that's because he's disarmed the spiritual powers and authorities that brought ruled. about this fall and ruled our hearts yeah. and like made it impossible for us to do anything except sin. He disarmed them on the cross. And so now our hearts through the work of the Holy Spirit and its circumcision of our heart can actually love our enemies, yeah. which is one of his commands in the, in the Sermon on the Mount. You could tie it back to the first commandment where it said like in Paul in Ephesians, he says we are sons of disobedience. Right. And so, but 
actually when we honor our true father, we become sons of, of obedience. Of obedience. Yeah. And like are able to do what we were not once not able That's to right. do. That's right. And Jesus does this by not only perfectly obeying his father, not by not only not getting angry, mm-hmm. sinfully angry, but also by being murdered. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so and like, he, yeah. And he was murdered and gives life to those who take his life. Like yeah. he he was allowed himself to be killed in order to give eternal life to his, his killers. killers. Yeah, by at angry, murderous killers. Yes. He gives life to those same people. Yeah. All right. So our next command is you shall not commit adultery. Um, no adulting. No, no, don't be adulting. Um, there's a lot here, I, I think. So the first thing we want to point out going back to the Garden of Eden is God's preeminent concern here for this covenant of marriage that he created in the Garden of Eden, that uh, the man shall leave his father and mother, hold fast to his wife, the two shall become one flesh. That covenant is highly valued by God, so much so that breaking it, uh, a prohibition against that, is here in just 10 commandments. It's like, if God's got 10, one of them is going to be, don't mess up that marriage covenant. And part of it goes back to this Trinity relationship again. Like There is this this distinctness within God That's right. and there's this distinction between God and humanity that he's and he's bound us together yes and marriage is a picture of the relationship that God has with his creation right in eternity past God is never adulted uh, himself he never he never uh, like broke the the covenant of the eternal Trinity between the Father Son and Holy Spirit and then whenever he makes a covenant with us, which he's made um, in the garden, he's made through Abraham, he's made through Noah, he's made these covenants. When he makes a covenant with us and he says, you are my people, I am your God, I've made this promise, God does never is never an adulterer. He never changes his mind. He never, you know, you know, talks like back talks, walks back. He never walks yeah. back his promise. He's, he's always, he's a, if I'm in this, I'm in this. I'm not going to commit adultery against you. You're my people. And so, like, no matter how much you commit adultery against, against me, me, that's right. I will be faithful because to so you. this gives us a beautiful picture of who God is. Who is God? When we read, "You shall not commit adultery," we learn God's not an adulterer. He's not going to walk out on you. He's not going to stop loving you. He's not going to break his promises or his covenant to you. If he's married you, you're his. Like, so act like it. So act like it. Yeah. Act like it. So we act, see that in Hosea. He yeah. marries. He literally marries, he marries a, prostitute. a prostitute to show us this love of God. This love of God. Yeah. And then we see this in. Well, one, we see it intensified by Jesus. That's right. Again, the same idea is like you don't commit adultery unless there's a whole bunch of other motives and reasons. That's right. Because here people would be thinking like, okay, so I can, uh, you know, as long as I'm just, you know, sexually fidel, you know, have sexual fidelity to my wife. I can look at other women and, well, you know. presumably people understood a little bit better than that, <laughs> but like. We find out that most people didn't don't yeah. <laughs> just like we do. I oh, mean, absolutely! Yeah, one of the most the craziest things I've heard, like one of the best things. What I really like, just a side point. Okay, side. I point. really like it when people show us how we're not all that different from people who lived thousands of years ago. Yeah, there's always this assumption that we're enlightened. We're you oh, know yeah. we're in the year two thousand, but like no, really, we're just like yep. the Old Testament people. The fa- it's kind of intense, but it, it applies here. It was talking about um, King Xerxes and how he has this huge harem of women. Right. And like Solomon has this huge harem of women where he's like got all these, got all these concubines. And he just compared it to pornography. It's like mm. he said oh, like, wow. back in that day, you needed money to have a harem of a hundred women. Right, but to now, look at all these different women. But and... now you just need a hard drive. 
So we've democratized the, the sin. The harem of, is now on the hard drive. Yeah, I was like, whoa, whoa. God. So, like, so we're like, we're no different. We're no different. Yep. And for, so, yeah. And so the intensification of this command is Jesus saying like, it's not just don't commit adultery with, you know, your actual body going to the body of another woman. I'm saying don't even have lustful thoughts in your heart about that woman. God does not have lustful thoughts towards other people. No, he's he's picked you and he didn't like, he wasn't like, ah, oh, I should have picked the Assyrians. <laughs> right? I should I should have gone with somebody else. I should have gone with someone else. Because messes yep. up too much. Like, if yep. you had a God that was capable of doing that, you'd always be doubting whether or not always. you could be... Yep. saved like i've been so unfaithful yeah. this is good news to you if you're listening to this and you're thinking like man i just don't know if god loves me it's like if you put your faith in jesus you're in this marriage covenant you don't have to think that he's looking over his shoulder for a better follower he's not going oh i, d- I shouldn't have chose beth or i shouldn't let beth believe in me i should have chosen sally yeah. time to divorce her god's not an adulterer yeah that's amazing so we saw it intensified in the sermon on the mount how does jesus fulfill the command of adultery not we see it like kind of really personally when he talks to the woman at the well. Oh yeah, this in John four, she like this woman been in multiple like promiscuous, yeah. adulterous relationships, right? And in the, the 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 man who's still like asleep in their house after probably yeah. some shameful acts isn't even her husband. She's definitely an adulterer. Yeah, and Jesus comes to her mm. and tells her don't sin but also in the same moment offers grace you're precisely the type of people that i make covenants with yeah. which pre- is really cool here that we see that these prohibitions get highlighted throughout the new testament in jesus's work and they become avenues of grace that he comes to the murderer he comes yeah. to the adulterer he comes to the liar and he says like i know you are this i see you i know you're trying to hide it i see you but i love you and i forgive you i die for you like yeah. that's amazing. How do I know? How do you know that I won't divorce you? Mm. Because I would rather die. Oh yeah. And then wow. I and then I actually do. Yeah, that's beautiful. And and then I I also think that another way Jesus fulfills this that we need to point out is that he is our bridegroom, right? He's yeah. our bridegroom, and we're his bride. And um, the marriage supper of the Lamb, when he comes to consummate all things, he brings us to himself, gathers his body together into one bride. And we dwell with him forever. His first miracle in the book of John is to make wine for a wedding feast. That's right. Like, yeah. Yeah. And so like Jesus is very concerned about this idea, or God is very concerned about this idea of marrying his bride. And when he does, he never goes back. He never commits adultery. He never leaves you or forsakes you. So do not steal. Okay, I won't. <laughs> God owns all things. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I hadn't even thought about that. <laughs> God- yeah. God owns all things. Yeah. Therefore, you don't get to take things that aren't yours. <laughs> <laughs> and like for a period of time, God has given you ownership and stu- not ownership, but stewardship. stewardship. Like yep. dominion, right? Dominion, yep. like responsibility for a small section of those things. And so you should not be going out and taking something that's not been mm-hmm. given to you. So this is this one a little different? Because like, can, can God steal if all things are his? No. No, he can't. So... So stealing, it being a reflection of God's character, is us having right relationship with knowing who owns everything. And if we see ourselves in relationship with God or mm-hmm. in a relationship purchased by God through Jesus' death on the cross yeah. and until we sit at his right hand in the heavenly places, we know that we actually have access to everything that God has. He's, gonna get, he's a good father gives us everything we need. Right. Right. And it, like the parable of the talents, there's all these things where we, like Jesus, God, like hands over certain degrees of responsibility or possession to a certain group of people. And like to do otherwise with that is to to try to take something that yeah. God has given to somebody else. W- number one, forgets that God owns everything. That's right. And that 
he would actually give everything to you. That's right. He's a provider. He's stealing, a provider. Stealing makes it, makes it sound like you don't trust in, that God's a provider. Right. You try to provide for yourself, which is how you usurp the first commandment again. You, right. You're Eve of the tree trying you to provide for yourself You don't need to steal because you need to ask. That's right. Ask, don't steal. Yeah, that, that, yeah that's, really, that's really good. And, and, I mean, I think that God is always doing this kind of stuff. He, he wants us to depend on him. You know, I think about the manna and the, or the quail in the wilderness. You know, it's like only take what you need. I provided it all, and there's more than you need. But only take what you need, and then you don't need to steal and hoard and hold up. Yeah. Like I've never thought about this as really a command to pray. Ask, oh, yeah. don't steal. Ask, don't steal. Like, what's the heart of somebody who steals, who believes that they have to do everything on their own? Yeah, it, what's the heart a of a Christian? Mm-hmm. Like to learn dependence all the time and trust in the Lord's provision yeah. for you. Which, which you know, Sermon on the Mount leans into this: ask and it will be given to you. Right? Like, right? Oh my goodness! Yeah. So, I mean, I wonder if Jesus had. Is he's working through the Ten Commandments, you know, shadowing them, or, or you know, reflecting them in the Sermon on the Mount. If he's thinking, "Do not steal," and he talks about asking God and trusting in His provision, because he talks all about, "Don't be anxious about what you're going to wear, what you're going to eat." You know, I wonder if he's he's thinking like this is the heart of the "Do not steal" command is dependence on God in prayer. Why that, not? Why not? <laughs> why not? Okay, so 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 I mean, Jesus. How does Jesus fulfill this, Seth? Like, he doesn't... We never have a picture of Jesus stealing something, but... But we do have him redeeming a man who has stolen. I'm thinking about Zacchaeus. Oh, sure, yeah. It's like he was this Roman... Tax collector. Tax collector, traitor to his own people, stealing from them. And after a meeting with Jesus, he gives back all, like, four times Mm -hmm. what he stole from others. And so, like, when you come into contact with the one who owns all things and the one who graciously gives, mm. you realize you, like, you can give freely. Yes. Not only back what you've stolen, but what you thought was rightfully yours in the first place. Yeah. You can generously right. give when you know that you've been given everything by mm-hmm. the one who owns everything. That's really good. That's really good. Okay. So, that's do not steal. And then we also have don't bear false witness against your neighbor or don't lie. Don't lie. Right. And I think... Bearing false witness, does that have more of like, does that also have kind of a, a legal language to it? Like Yeah, and in Matthew 5, Jesus talks about oaths. Like oh, you've heard it yeah. said that uh, you shall not swear falsely, but shall perform to the Lord what you have sworn. But I say to you, don't take an oath at all. At all. And so I think what he, apparently what's happening here is like there was this, this thing that would happen where they people would try to get like order the, <laughs> order the way in which they would tell truth. Like, I'll do that for you. And how the way you'll really know that I'll do that for you is I'm going to swear that, like, I swear oh, by right. the temple right. that I'm going to do it. Yeah. Like, and you know that's a big promise. But eventually people were like, well, you can kind of get away with that. But if you, and then they added all these layers. Right. And, and then, and so is this why, um, is it, yeah, Jesus talks about like, don't swear on, on, on the, on what is he? Don't don't swear in the temple. Does he? Don't, don't swear on anything on the earth. Because on the he earth. says right here. But oh, I say okay. to you, don't take an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is the throne of God, or right. by the earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for oh, it's okay. the city so of the great king. He's kind of unworking that intensification of of swears. Is that what you're saying? Yeah. Okay. And he says, and do not take an oath by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black. Let right. what you say simply be yes or no. And it actually goes back to the same command. Why don't you swear falsely? Because all truth is God's. Everything mm. is God. You can't swear by anything on the earth and make it more true. Right. You can't spin something by appealing to another power or another source. Right. Everything's true by virtue of me mm. being truth. Right. Wow. Yeah, and which goes back to the character of God. Why does God command us not to lie? Uh, we're told in the New Testament that God cannot lie. 
Like God is the ultimate truth teller. He actually is bound by his own character to always tell the truth. God never lies. In fact, he cannot. So it's like, is there something that God cannot do? Yeah. Can't lie. He can't lie. And it's like, so this is a reflection of his character um, here that, yeah, he, he never lies, which is, which is really cool when he, so like when, whenever Jesus makes a pronouncement or a promise, we know he's going to hold true to it. When he, when he said it is finished, it was finished. You know, like whenever he, he like says like, I'll never leave you or forsake you. He's not lying. You know, like I love that. that yeah. Like when, when we have a promise of God and we, when Jesus tells us something, uh, we know it's, it can be the truth. We take it to the bank. Like, and I think too, let's talk. <gasps> Oh, oh sorry. I just had another idea. <laughs> um, legal, legal, legal language. Cause like perjury, bearing, bearing witness, perjury, like, you know, you, you drag someone to court and, and you, you lie about them. I'm bearing false witness. This guy did this thing. Therefore lock him up. You know, what's amazing is when we stand before the judgment throne of God and Jesus is our advocate, um, he doesn't have to lie to get us into the kingdom. Like, you know, like, yeah. and he, nor does he have to lie to send us into judgment. You know, it's like, he, he won't have to make stuff up for us to be rightly judged and punished by God. We'll just, you know, here's all, here's all everything he did. But what he does, he doesn't have to go, so just like, uh, just turn the other cheek. Here's a bribe, God. You know, like, yeah. look the other way. It's all good. He actually wasn't as bad as you thought he was. He, he was a he was a good guy, you know, deep down. What he actually does is he doesn't have to lie or bear false witness to justify us to the Father. He says, look to me. I am. I was perfect on his behalf. I bore all his punishment, and that's the truth. That is the true witness that I am bearing on behalf of this person. Therefore, let him enter in. And what a great reversal of what was done to him, right? At the kangaroo, like that oh, night court. Yes, like, he did. Everyone this. bore false witness. Against Everyone Jesus. bore f- oh. false witness against Jesus. And then when he's given the opportunity to bear true witness of oh. the people who have disobeyed and who have crucified him, he says, "Lord, look to me instead." Yeah, forgive them. They they don't know what they're doing. Yeah, forgive them. Look to me. So David has oh. a book coming yeah. up essentially on the topic of coveting. Yeah, it's a, I talk about it a lot. I've done so the book plug once in this episode. We'll the do final, it again. The final command is do not covet. Right. What, are, what, is that, what, what characteristic of God are we naming here? Oh, yeah. That's interesting. So, well, first that God, I actually haven't thought about that question. <laughs> but, yeah, so first that um, God never has, has to covet. Because, well, we've talked about it. He owns everything, you know, so you don't have to covet that. He doesn't have to covet. He also is the highest source of power. He holds himself as the God above all gods. Anything that he wants is already, is already his. his. So, again, just like, you know, stealing and lying, we, we, we obey those commands because God owns everything and God is all truth. You know, we also, coveting is the same thing. It's understanding our right relationship with, with God and that he owns everything and he's a good provider. I don't need to covet because I have everything that I need has been given to me in him. And so God never has to covet because he owns all things. He's self-sufficient. He's eternally um, at peace and at one with who he is and what he has because he has everything. And yeah, so he, he never, God never needs to be or wants to be something other than himself or have something that he doesn't have because he's perfect, full, immense, sufficient. And so when we covet, what we're doing is we're, kind of acting it's kind of like the not stealing thing it's like we're trying to take things that aren't ours that the lord hasn't entrusted yeah. to us what's interesting about this one though is this actually is the only um of the, only one of the, these six that is a heart thing because coveting is not an action you don't you someone could be coveting and you couldn't see it 
So like, I mean, let's look like if someone, if someone was honoring their father and mother, you know, a lot of times that's an action, you right. know, you obey them, you, Especially you help them. Especially if it's them, the, like the, if it's the, the older son the older taking one. Yeah. care of the... Come into my home and I'll take care of you. Uh, if someone's murdering, you can see that. If someone's committing adultery, you can see that. If someone's stealing, you can see that. If someone's lying, that's an action. This one, coveting, wanting something that's not yours is a hard issue. Um, and so uh, it's really interesting how um, a lot of times um, even the Apostle Paul calls coveting idolatry in the New Testament. We also can think of how the uh, these are bookended in the Ten Commandments, how um, put, having no other gods before you is then bookended by coveting. And um, I'm saying that because when we get to the New Testament and Paul is talking about the law in Romans 7, he uses coveting as a placeholder for the whole law. He says, I would not have known what sin was unless the law came to me and said, you shall not covet. So in the same way that you can't disobey, dishonor your father and mother without first disobeying the first commandment. That's right. You're also breaking the 10th commandment yes. because you want to protect your autonomy from your... That's right. You want to protect your own autonomy so you dishonor your father and mother. Mm -hmm. You want to experience life away from the hearts of that person creates so you murder them. That's right. Like you wish that wife was your wife uh -huh. yep. so you sleep with her. Like you, you wish, wish that thing was your thing so you steal it. You wish people thought of you better so you lie. lie. Yes, exactly. So, like, all, all, sin, all sin is both a displacement of God and uh, in the heavens and a covetous desire in the heart. And so what, what, what it does, why it's bookended like this, is because we make the 10th commandment the first commandment. So what we do is we take our, we covet the first position. We want to be God, which was the sin of Eve at the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. She wanted to be like God. She coveted the wisdom that God had. She coveted the power that God had, the autonomy that God had. We wish we were God. We wish we were God. And covetous, covetousness is the root of that desire, that we we want that. And so the, the root cause of every sin is coveting what's not ours. Which is essentially saying, wishing, like... Since we everything God. is God's. That's right. And if we're wanting something that's anything, yep. if we want anything other than God, yep. we want, wish we were God. That's right. And and so the root of that, what I like to call it, what's, what's helpful to talk about is self-salvation is what I like calling covetousness because it's a little clearer. So, uh, you know, in the Garden of Eden, you know, Eve wanted to provide for herself, save herself, you know, fix the relationship, you know, herself. She wanted to do everything. She was trying to, you know, practice self-salvation in in coveting, we do the same thing. We want to save ourselves from the humdrum of normal life. From you know, we've listed all of them already. You know, yeah, we want to. Our romantic life is dull yeah. with our wife, so we want to yep. spice it up That's by right. committing adultery. Yep. Like we're trying to take for ourselves a satisfaction that we don't believe that God provides. Right. In obedience. Right. And so the only way this is fixed is in Jesus, who did not, who was God Himself, but did not covet being God himself, you know, so this is Philippians two. He, yeah. he was, he was himself God, but did not count equality with God, something to be held on to. Instead, he emptied himself and made himself the likeness of man becoming obedient to death, even death, death on a cross. And so we have the reversal of humankind. Humankind was an image of God, but was not God himself, but they wanted to be. So they coveted it and they went up for it. Jesus was God himself. He did not covet it and emptied himself and became like us. It's the reversal of covetousness. It goes back to what we talked about, how the Ten Commandments are the reverse of the curse. Oh, yes, right. And like if Eve was trying to grab her own salvation, like these are all the ways that we try to grab our own oh, salvation. Oh, that's right? good. Like, yeah, the, yeah, yeah. Like, like by dishonoring the relationships around us by 
It's taking what's not ours. Right. We're, those are all expressions of what Eve tried to do in the garden yep. by becoming like God. Mm-hmm. Yep. And so, and so since Jesus did not covet his position as God, but emptied himself, became like us, becoming obedient to death on a cross, he, uh, <laughs> what's amazing also is that, you know, whereas Adam and Eve, they uh, wanted the blessing of of what the tree of knowledge of good and evil offered them. They coveted it for themselves and they wanted it, but they ended up breaking the law of the garden and earning the curse instead of the blessing. So they coveted the blessing, but got the curse, right? Jesus, he earned the blessing. He actually did everything, fulfilled the law in himself, but did not covet it for himself. Instead, he imputes it to us. He gives it to us. And he says, what Adam and Eve coveted, I earned for you and I give it freely to you. I give you the righteousness. I don't covet it for myself. I give it freely to you. Jesus is the new and better Adam. You know, he's he's this yeah. new person who earns the blessing for us and gives it to us because he does not covet it. So what you're saying is the Ten Commandments are about Jesus. I, I'm saying that a little bit. Yeah. So, Ten about, Commandments are about sounds Jesus. Sounds about right. <laughs> Okay, well, I'm really excited to end with a new little special tag I'm hoping we can do every now and then here. Uh, We actually got a submission about um, how someone else saw Jesus uh, and the gospel in the text in in Exodus. And so as we we get those, we want to share them as they're really encouraging us. So send them in. If you, something, as you're listening, something triggers in your mind, like, oh, what about this? They didn't talk about this. Send it to us. So that's podcast at SpokenGospel.com, podcast, 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 podcast at SpokenGospel.com. We'd love to hear it. So this one comes to us from Ashley Ashley S. S. Here in Oklahoma City, which is really great. This that's where we record. And she brought up this idea of um, you know we have we have Israel in the land of Egypt at the beginning of the book of Exodus. And they have all these promises that have been given them from the patriarch Abraham, but they're awaiting its fulfillment. Right. And she said, you guys didn't talk about the fact that that's a picture of us as Christians, as the, as the church. We've received all these promises from Jesus. He's, he's you know, ratified the covenant. He's done all these things. Uh, and we know it's going to happen. But we're sitting in this. We're waiting. We're waiting. We're sitting in this land waiting. We're, you know, we're still kind of in this Egypt, in a sense, you know. And so waiting on the fulfillment. And so cry out to God. Come, Lord, save us. Come, Lord Jesus. We're not just like, waiting for Jesus to come in the cross. We're waiting right. for him to come a second time. That's right. To, and yeah. that's part of the gospel. To be our deliverer out of this out of this land and remake awesome. everything, bring us into the promised land to live with him forever, which is what we see in Exodus, which is great. So, Ashley, thank you so yeah, much. That's you, great. Ashley. If you see a connection in, um, uh, in something that we're doing that you want us to read out loud, uh, send it to podcast at spokengospel.com. Thank you guys for being with, with us this week, and we'll see you next time. Adios. Thank you for listening to the Spoken Gospel Podcast. We'd like to remind you that my new book, Rewire Your Heart, Replace Your Desire for Sin with Desire for God, is coming out October 30th. Pre-orders are now available from your favorite retailer. And for all the information, for special offers, for group discussion guides, journal prompts, free chapters, and more, you can visit rewireyourheartbook.com. Spoken Gospel is a nonprofit organization dedicated to creating gospel-centered media that speaks the gospel out of every corner of scripture in every corner of the world. To learn more about the ministry of Spoken Gospel and to view more of our resources, visit spokengospel.com.